You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packer Night Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. This stupid headset is only playing out of one side, so that's freaking me out. As a bonus, as I've said, these things are like 35 bucks, so I'll get over it. Anyways, how's your Tuesday going? You ever had one of those times where... Uh, you're really excited because it's like, man, I got so much time today. Like, I'm on the ball, I'm on time, I'm early. Like, stuff's just rolling. And then you just do something for what you tell yourself is going to be five minutes, which means you're still going to be like 20 minutes early. And, you know, a half hour later, it's like, oh, shoot. Sometimes that happens. It's nobody's fault, really. I mean, it's it, you can't blame anybody. It just, it's a cosmic thing. Something to do with solar flares, I think. I, you know, um, you know, I, it's just it's just one of those things. So uh, that's that's what I was forced to do today was to be distracted. I can't be blamed for it. Nobody can. We'll just continue on. With that said, however, I do want to uh, pull out our buddies over at PFF and take a look at some of uh, the more specific notes that have come out. Um, because there are a lot of things that people already know, because as soon as the PFF grades come out, although I'm faster than everybody else, you're still going to get some of the same information or different information. Um, But I want to go a little bit more in-depth in the how and why and context and thoughts behind it, etc., etc. Again, you can feel free to disagree with Pro Football Focus. I've done a defense of them 60,000 times, fully admitting that they're, they're fallible to some degree, but it's one of those things where... It's the only option we have. If what you're looking for is something other than a statistical basis for how good things are and actually want a scouting service, that's what PFF is. They're a scouting service. They watch on a play-to-play basis and grade players. And even when people try to hit you up with, well, maybe you should just watch the tape, bro. First of all, again, that's literally what PFF does. Second of all, I wouldn't trust myself as much as them. Now, I'll happily disagree. If I watch it and I think, I don't know, I think you had a good day, whatever, that's fine, but that's no different than, you know, Brian Gutekunst picking a guy in the draft and me saying, ah, I would have taken this guy. It's possible I'm right, but I'm clearly being an arrogant moron because I, I don't have even an introductory understanding of what it takes to be a GM and to scout, and, and, and I haven't done the work myself that Brian has done, nor do I have a massive team of people that I pay millions of dollars to to get intel, information, all that kind of stuff. You get what I'm saying, right? So again, I'm just going to walk through what the scouting service has to say about the Green Bay Packers and uh, maybe a couple other little notes and tidbits. If you're into that kind of thing, then uh, we're going to have a good day. Again, I want to remind you, because I had more um, Apple users reach out and say that uh, it hasn't been working, they're going to be switching to Spotify. I did actually have a little bit, I think it was a little bit of a blip from Google, 
I got an update from my podcast at like two o'clock, and I was like, wait a minute, what? That was a little bit weird. I don't, I don't know if I don't know. I don't know what's going on, man. Again, I, I could go on this rant every single day. I'm trying not to, but it really seems pretty straightforward what it is they have to do. It seems like they have a very simple platform, which is just to pull information from an RSS feed. I mean, we literally have a website called Packernet.com, and that's the basis of the website. When somebody creates an article, it get, it updates the feed for their website. Packernet pulls that information in, and we have a thing instantly that pops up and says, boom, here's an article about blah, blah, bidi, 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 from this and this website. And then when you click on it, it takes you over to their article. It's pretty basic as far as technology goes. I mean, we, we're putting people on the moon, and that was, what, 50 years ago we put a guy on the moon? And Apple, who created the iPhone? I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. It's not a big deal. All I know is that Apple tends to have the biggest issues. If you're an Android user, there are literally an infinite number of options. Um, I don't know the situation with Apple, but I'm pretty sure you can get Spotify as an alternative. If you're having issues, and the thing is, if it's mine, it's going to be other. I don't believe it's only my podcast that's causing problems. It's just a bad player. So if you want a better player, again, I have not heard any complaints about Spotify. I know Spotify is putting way more money than anybody into this. They're trying to dominate the podcast space. So they actually care about it. So it's, I'm just saying, again, I don't personally use it, but I would be happy to switch. It's just that I've already put a bunch of shows in my Google thing. So I don't feel like putting the work in to switching. Although the Google thing's getting a little bogged down with podcasts I don't care about anymore. So it might be a good idea to switch and just start over. Anyways, there's that daily reminder. because, and, and the only reason I really bring it up is because when I got that message saying, man, you know, why does iTunes hate you? Because your show isn't popping up again. I already knew because it's a, it's a victory Monday, which usually the numbers are through the roof. And unfortunately, pretty average, which is upsetting because I only get a handful of those a year. Out of 365 days, I get what, 10 of those? What's the maximum? You get eight plus maybe a couple home games in the playoffs if you're lucky. So that kind of sucks. Thanks, iTunes. On a positive note, though, we do have some uh, Patreon love. I never, ever, ever can remember where I left off. I feel like it should just be from, I think it's just the last two, but I'm just going to say the last four anyway. Thanks a lot to Jeremy. I'm, see, and this is why I don't think I said thanks to Jeremy, because I usually lately have been trying to say the last name, and there's no way I would have, uh, the, the panic attack I'm getting right now, I wouldn't have forgotten. And this is one of those things, it could literally be anything. It's some, like, Eastern European, I'm going to throw a bunch of random vowels in here, and, and consonants. It's not even the vowels. The, the, the French do the vowels. This is just a bunch of J's and K's and C's and Z's in random places, just to mess with me, and then you just, it's like Smith, or something stupid, just so that people go, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeremy, but your ancestors were a bunch of punks. They're, they're rude, and I don't think it's funny. I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't have a sense of humor about this kind of stuff. I think it's mean. You're shaving years off my life. But anyways, thanks to Jeremy Wokowitz. I'm going with Wokowitz. Final answer. Also, a big thank you to Roger Davis. That's Roger Davis. Great ancestors. Love that. What are we talking, English? I don't know, but it's beautiful. Also, thank you to Marshall and Zach. No last name given, but thank you very much for your support. Jeremy, I'm messing with you, man. By the way, your uh, your hoodie is on the way. Mike, I do have your hoodie also. It was returned to me. Yes, I did forget to put your apartment number in. I'm actually almost positive I did not forget. It just didn't print something. I don't know, but we'll get it figured out. You're also welcome to drive up from Whitewater if you want to come get it. 
I will happily pay you the shipping to not have to ship it again. Anyways, let's take a look. That's enough uh, random rambling for the day, as much as I do enjoy it. So I do always like when this happens, because there's always a little bit of heartburn that something stupid is going to happen um, via PFF. And I know nobody's going to be perfectly happy with it. But um, in a game like this, I really just cross my fingers and say, please tell me Devontae was the highest graded player. Please tell me Devontae was the highest graded player. And he was. I mean, it doesn't really matter. If it's like a random offensive lineman, it's fine, because who knows? Like, if, if Corey Lindsley was a 98, be like, oh... I, yeah, probably. I, I didn't see That's cool that he was even better than, you know, something like that. But I'm always worried it's going to be like Mercedes Lewis or something. And it's like, ah, oh, come on, guys. Come on, guys. But nope, Devontae Adams with a 93.7 overall. Right now, granted, it's a smaller sample size because he's really only played two games. But he is the second highest graded wide receiver in football, which it really is amazing because I've been talking about with Devontae how he's literally been getting better every single year. Um, depending on how you do it. I think if you look just at his overall PFF grade, it, it went down in his second year and then back up. I mean, marginally, like from a 63 to a 59 to a 64, and then just straight up from there. But I even I took it a step further and looked at like how many bad games, how many mediocre games, how many good, very good, and elite games. And it's just, it's it's always, every year it's been getting less and less bad, more and more good, and more and more great. And the, the question, obviously, is going to be, when does this thing end? And you have to assume he's he's reaching the peak. It's It's got to be close to being done. But so far, he has not finished his ascension. Just looking at, if we, if we start in 2015, because again, 2014 overall grade dropped a little bit down to 2015. 59.1 in 2015. He went from a 59 to a 72. 72 in 2016 was his first kind of breakout year, although he wasn't um, current form Devante. He was still like, oh, oh, no, he's he's a good one. He's a he's, he's, we got a guy, right? Maybe Alan Lazard level where it's like, oh, I, I appreciate him being on the team. And I'm sorry if the sound of zipper coming across this cord here, wearing my hoodie, and I'm hearing it in my ear, and I'm starting to freak me out that you guys are hearing that because that's really annoying. So then from 72, he jumps up to 80, which is a massive jump, right? It's eight points. From there, he jumps up to an 87, another massive jump. Then he takes another marginal step forward to an 88, even better. So far right now, he's at a 90.5. Now, again, I don't know if he maintains that, but the constant, <laughs> I don't know a better way to say it, the constant ascension of Devontae Adams, we don't know what his final form will be. And I'm, I'm kind of worried that there's not only going to be a stopping, but somewhat of a crash. Because, right, I mean, he's going on 28 years old. So as he's continuing to go up, I mean, it's just, if you have somewhat of a regression to the mean coupled with an age fall-off, I mean, I, I could see a pretty drastic drop-off. But maybe there isn't. I don't, I don't have to worry about that. I'm just, I'm just trying to appreciate. Kudos to Devontae, who is an absolute freak. It also should be mentioned, um, I talked about how his best game ever was the most... When I talked about Devontae and I talked about how he continues to get better, not only should we be encouraged because he got better again this year when he finished, his best game ever was against Seattle. So that's that's really encouraging because the guy just keeps getting better. So the... the, the not the final game, but the, the second to the last game um, of the season was his best game. This most recent game is now Devontae's best game ever. So not only is he one-upping himself year over year, but his best games keep getting better. He broke his own record for best PFF grade just five games after his last time breaking his own record. 93.7 overall. Truly, truly incredible. 
Outside of Devontae, it wasn't all that spectacular. There were only one, two, three, four other guys that were 70 and above. Two of the four were in the 80s. Um, kudos across the board, more or less, for the offensive line. We'll get more in-depth on that. But the, the next two best guys were Lucas Patrick and Corey Lindsley. Shout-out to Lucas Patrick, the guy who at one point was seemingly off the team. And, um, I mean, gr- listen... I'm going to keep repeating this because it's worth repeating. The Houston Texans have a terrible, terrible, terrible pass rush. J.J. Watt is their best guy. He hasn't done anything this year. Whether that's because of double teams, probably, or not, which I noticed they were firing him off the edge a little bit, probably to prevent double team, um, which didn't work either. But either way, you know, there's always the caveat of we'll see what happens when they go up against better pressure, better, um, I cannot think of the word, competition. But that's true no matter what. I mean, I don't care if it's Corey Lindsley who was having a great year. If he's going up against Aaron Donald, it's still an oh-no situation. But it's worth bringing up. Either way, kudos to Lucas Pat. Again, we'll get into specifics in a little bit. Um, the next two highest-graded guys, Aaron Rodgers, and I know some people were upset that Aaron Rodgers was only a 74. Still a good game, but I think people thought he should have been better. I, I don't necessarily agree. I was happy with the game overall, but I thought... In terms of things that were kind of clunky, Aaron Rodgers was in that mix. He threw several passes that were nowhere near where they should have been. That touchdown pass to Devontae, if he just throws it to the post, Devontae walks in. He throws it to his outside shoulder so that Devontae has to curve back out, grab the ball, and then run back in. It's this weird thing. There was also that interception when he just completely missed Devontae by a mile. Devontae reaches way back, about dislocated his shoulder, just to tip that thing up in the air and almost get picked. There were several what-in-the-world-was-that type throws in this game. So, I mean, I'm not trashing Rodgers. It was a good game, but there was clearly a difference between Rodgers in this game and and Rodgers in his previous elite games. Which, does it concern me? Yeah, maybe a little bit. It's two bad games, not bad, but two kind of take-it-easy Rodgers type games in a row. But, again, we won. Good enough. Whatever. Um, the other guy, and I, there's a couple other pretty close ones we could bring up, you know, 69 range. But the other guy, massive kudos, only 10 snaps, but still a solid performance. Malik Taylor, fifth highest graded player on the offense. Um, follow that up with Billy Turner, Elton Jenkins, Jay Sternberger with a 68.8, Rick Wagner 68.5, and that's probably where I'll cut it off there. Those guys were all, we'll say good. And that's about half the offense. That's nine guys, only 19 played. Um, anybody I didn't name was not on this list. Yes, that includes Jamal. Technically, he was he was next, if you want to know why. They did grade him, um, give him a good grade as a runner, which is fair. I don't think he was an elite runner, but he did a good job. The reason he's as low as he is, horrific pass blocking grade. Uh, decent amount of average. The only guy that graded out as bad, which is 40s or below, and it was a 49.5. I could give him credit, but, you know, I don't want to, and it kind of confirms what everybody already knows. Marquez Valdez-Scantling was the lowest graded player on the team. Listen, I know a lot of you guys have been real big on MVS, and I know some of you get real mad at me. Just wait, he's going to break out. He's going to have a great day. He hasn't had a good game this year. His highest grade so far this year is a 65.6. His overall grades over three years have been 60, 57, and 55, so he's getting worse every year. In 2019, he had two games where he graded out as good. Granted, one of them was an 87-7, and this is the problem. Games like this, his game against Las Vegas in Week 7, when he has an 87.7 overall grade, or even his game against Denver, are the reason why people freak out. Because you see a guy that's 6'4 with 4'37 speed completely take over a game, 
and nobody can let him go. This is why Packers fans, as much as they want to pretend to be good GMs, myself included, are incapable. Because some of you guys would never get rid of MVS, ever. Because he's 6'4 and runs a 4'3'7 and he had a good game that one time. And you just cannot detach yourself from the fact that maybe he'll be the next Calvin Johnson. Despite the fact that we've seen more than enough evidence, that ain't ever going to happen. Every single wide receiver that has ever come in here and, and, and played a significant amount of snaps has had a good game. Geronimo has had like a handful of good games. He was not a very good wide receiver. Jeff Janis had like one or two good games. He was not a good wide receiver. Trevor Davis had like a, a catch that one time. Not a good wide receiver. The jury's still out on Equinemius, who I didn't even hardly see, but he rated out below average, 58.2. He's only took three snaps, and I knew I saw his, his number at least once. That must have been one of the only times he was out there. So he didn't get very many opportunities, so the jury's still out on him. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, the worst players on this team, for the most part, were the tight ends and the wide receivers. I mean, I, I mentioned Jace did fine. Mercedes was right at average. But um, Marquez, Darius Shepard, John Lovett, Robert Tanyan, these are the worst guys on the team. Equinemius was there as well. So if we're asking the question, is it time to go out and get a wide receiver? Yeah, probably. Now, what does that look like? I don't really know. you got to remember, and I know a lot of people aren't all that excited, but we are getting Devin Funches back next year unless we decide to just straight up cut him, which I don't really see why. I believe we already paid for the guy. We prepaid for a 2021 Devin Funchess, so we're getting a 2021 Devin Funchess. On top of that, we've we've got Alan Lazard coming back. So the question of, of priority is kind of tricky. We, we went out and we got some, some veteran. I don't even want to look it up because it doesn't matter. And if you want me to comment on him, I don't feel like it. He's not going to help anything. A veteran wide receiver that's just been floating out there for a long time is not a guy that's going to change your, your um, anything. And so the, the, the other question comes in, let's assume... Alan Lazard is coming back. How much do you want to invest in a wide receiver that's going to be presumably better than Alan Lazard? And I understand it's possible to put three wide receivers in, but are you talking about getting a slot guy? Because I don't think it, we're going to put too many people in other people. in. The, like, Lazard isn't going in the slot. I mean, he can, but that's not where they want to put him. Devontae can, but they're not going to keep him in the slot so that this other guy you're paying a bunch of money to is going to stay out there. So if you're going to go out and get a guy, it's how much better is he going to be than Alan Lazard? And I don't know that we really, when Lazard is here, the offense is clicking at 100%. So then we're kind of talking about a backup. How much you want to pay for a backup in case Lazard get? You know what, I'm just saying it's it's kind of a clunky strategy. I'm all for it because we have to do better at wide receiver. But you add in Aaron Jones, you add in Alan Lazard, and then you go out and spend a bunch of money for somebody that, you know, it's going to be real upsetting when he doesn't play that much. Or he plays, he's not very good because he doesn't understand Lafleur's scheme, and Lazard's sitting over there on the bench just waiting to tear it up. And Aaron Jones runs for 105 yards, Lazard gets, you know, 130 yards and two touchdowns, and we're sitting here thinking, what the heck did we go out and spend that money on a wide receiver for? Now, if Lazard is out for the long term, probably should consider it. But again, if that's not the case, the question is, what is the plan and what are we going to do with them? Just a thought, just throwing it out there. Uh, Staying on the offensive side of the ball, looking at the blocking and whatnot, um, overall, um, again, I mentioned Lucas Patrick and Corey Lindsley were in the 80s. Uh, Billy Turner, 69.7. Why wasn't he higher is the run blocking. He did phenomenal as a pass blocker. Um, followed by Elton Jenkins, same situation. Elton has been very, um, overall been grading very average for quite a while now, but usually it's one thing or the other. 
Right, week one, elite pass blocker, pretty bad run blocker. Week two, elite pass blocker, terrible run blocking. Week three, good pass blocking, really bad run blocking. Week four, he was bad at both, so he graded out terribly. Week six, horrific pass blocking, elite run blocking. Week seven, very good pass blocking and uh, average run blocking. So, I mean, you know, Elton obviously has some tools. His run blocking has been horrific, which I know a lot of guys want to highlight how great of a run blocker he is. He wasn't even that good at it last year, at least according to PFF. Um, It was one of those things where Twitter would highlight one of his really good blocks on the goal line, which caused a touchdown, so then we just assume, obviously, he's a great run blocker. That's been kind of an issue for him, with the exception of the one week where he was very, very good against Tampa Bay, but uh, got wrecked as a pass blocker. So that trend kind of continues for uh, Elton Jenkins. Um, I I should mention for Lucas and Corey, it was kind of almost the exact same thing. They were both good as pass blockers, very good as run blockers, almost identical grades on that. Um, Each of them gave up one hurry. The the entirety of the team, I should mention, zero sacks, one hit, six hurries. Um, That's pretty incredible. Again, the Texans pass rush is pathetic, but it's still a good thing. Malik Taylor graded out as average as a run blocker. Uh, Jay Sternberger, very good pass blocking. Rick Wagner's next on the list. He graded out as an 81 overall as a pass blocker, so he did great. Again, the issue was run blocking. Kind of upsetting, especially when I wanted my breakout game for um, for A.J. Dillon. I was hoping he'd be able to find a couple holes in there to be able to break a big run to get everybody all jacked up, and uh, a lot of guys were just not getting the job done. Corey and, and, uh, and Lucas did a great job. Otherwise, it was MVS and Darius Shepard were the only guys that were doing any good run blocking. The rest of these guys were not getting it done. Uh, Jamal, I mentioned, uh, terrible pass blocking. He had nine reps. He gave up two of the five hurries in this game on only nine snaps. So in comparison, you got guys like Lucas Patrick with 35 reps, gave up one hurry. Jamal gave up two on nine. Uh, Mercedes did a great job pass blocking, six attempts, no pressure. Again, not very good at run blocking. Tunyon the Funyon graded out as average as a run blocker, 10 attempts. Love it, the tight end, five attempts below average as a run blocker. And I mentioned Shepard and Marquez both did a good job run blocking, which, you know, is always going to make... Mr. LaFleur happy when MVS can get the job done, but eh. Um, I had a question from JJ about Aaron Rodgers and his performance under pressure. He definitely is a lot worse under pressure, and I think that maybe is a peek into what's happening. Part of the success has been the fact that this offensive line has been so dynamite at keeping him clean, which, you know, Aaron Rodgers, when he's protected, is elite elite in this particular game he had an 81.3 overall grade 21 of 28 246 yards four touchdowns no interceptions under pressure which only happened six times as i said he had two completions for 37 yards no touchdowns no interceptions 49 overall grade he had three throwaways nfl passer rating of 55.6 that's compared to 140.8 when he was clean but i wouldn't want to i don't want you to read too much into that because then the, the thought is well this is this is this is everything this is the theory of everything when he's under pressure, then we're doomed. So anytime a team can get pressure a couple times, we're in trouble. Almost every single quarterback in the NFL has grades similar to this. Pat Mahomes, Tom Brady, almost identical to Aaron Rodgers' grades. The only guy, really, there, there's two. There's Tannehill and Russell Wilson. There might be a couple more, but those, those are the two that seem to do very well under pressure. Otherwise, that's just the way it always is. So, so it's true that when you get inside Aaron Rodgers' head, bad things happen. But I'm not too concerned about it because, again, that is the norm. When, when you're under pressure, you don't play as well. Um, looking at the rushing grades, Jamal's the only guy that graded out any, I mean, decently as a uh, runner. 
Um, A.J. Dillon was a 58, so slightly below average. I mentioned he had five attempts for 11 yards, which is 2.2 yards per attempt, which is terrible. His longest run was five yards. Obviously, if he had more opportunities, he would have eventually had a big run, but it's just one of those things. There's no reason to. Um, A.J. Dillon was, was in close your eyes and smash into the pile mode. Jamal was at least finding a couple creases here and there and, and was doing a pretty solid job. Maybe not quite as dynamic as people want to give him all the credit for, as though you know we don't even need Aaron Jones because we got Jamal. This, this Aaron Jones would have done a lot better with these opportunities, and I explained why. But uh, 19 carries, 77 yards, 4.1 yard average, slightly less than I actually thought he would. Um, decent, though. One touchdown, four first downs, one run over 10 yards, which was 13 yards. Uh, he only had one avoided tackle in the game, so pretty... I mean, Jamal did the job, and that's what's important, but it wasn't it wasn't like an Aaron Jones performance where he just absolutely dominated and looked like a freak. And I say that with all the love in the world for Jamal because he's obviously an amazing football player, not just on the field, but, I mean, how do you not love Jamal Williams? My son's favorite player still is Devontae, which I was horrified to learn that because my wife and daughter like to poke the bear asked him what happens if Devontae gets traded, and he said he may have split allegiances, which I'm not happy about, or possibly just a new allegiance. But anyways, Jamal is rapidly catching up as his favorite player because, I mean, my son also likes to get up and dance when cool things happen, and Jamal does that, so there you go. Granted, I also do that, but, you know, I'm not as cool. Looking specifically at receiving grades, um, Devontae was a 93.2. His overall was a 93.7, so obviously there's there's that. Ace was the second highest, 73.4. Malik Taylor, 72.1. I mentioned how MVS was a ni- uh, 49.5, but his receiving grade in this was a 44.3. Um, drop grade, which is a separate grade, was a 28 because he had a drop on only two targets. So that's terrible. But a 158.3 overall passer rating for Mr. Devontae Adams. Who had 13 receptions, 196 yards, two touchdowns, 15.1 yards per reception, 97 yards after the catch, which, I mean, 97 yards is a good day. He got 97 after the catch. He had 7.5 yards per reception after the catch. His longest reception was 45 yards. He converted 10 first downs. 10 receptions is great. He had 10 first downs on 13 receptions. I I, I wonder, I got to think if I can even look that up. Has anybody ever gotten 10 first downs? I don't know, but very quickly I have to take a break and then we got to come back and look at the defense because we're running out of time, but we'll be right back to take a look at La Defense. As always, remember, although you can feel free to wait however many months to get your Iron Jock hoodie by winning it somehow, you also have the opportunity to go to ironjock.com, I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com, Wisconsin-based clothing company. They just launched their e-commerce platform. They got polos, vests, workout shirts, sweatshirts, shorts, socks, and underwear, running jackets, hoodies, and pants. Every single item is built from technologically advanced super fibers, which are backed by groundbreaking science and a guarantee that if any reason you don't love it, you can send it back. No questions asked. Every single piece of clothing is infused with nano silver through our proprietary silver ion technology process that provides permanent odor protection for the lifetime of the fabric. I figured I'd read it because, you know, more eloquent and whatnot. But it does kill 99.9% of all bacteria and fungus, which again, I mean, come on, it's 100. They can't say it, but I can. Basically what that means is no stinkage. It is wicking and fast drying, breathable, anti-static, and odor eliminating. It actually just, it just does, it's, it's amazing. It's freaky, but it's, it's amazing. They also have their Enduratec Plus fabric, which is water repellent. You can find that in their long pants, shorts, hoodies, and running jacket. You'll never get wet or running or playing in golf in the rain. 
Now available for purchase at ironjock.com. That's I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com. Take a look at their unique collection of apparel featuring Silver Ion technology. Like them on Facebook. Follow them on Twitter at Ironjock. Also, don't forget to head over to my bookie where magic is our business and not yours. <laughs> All right, that one wasn't great. But what is great is making money. So again, if you're looking to have a little bit of fun, you got a little bit of extra cash, we're at the end of the month. Check your budget, see if there's anything left in it, because there's no shortage of games to watch. There are thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events. You can turn game day into payday with my bookie. It's not bad, but I, I mean, the magic thing wasn't that bad either. Whether you're the type of guy that likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you the chance to turn ordinary bets into real money makers. Because you're, you're basically, my understanding anyways, is you're taking the obvious bets, right? You want to bet on the favorites, but you're stacking them and doing like a bunch of them together. And if all of them hit, then you get your big payday. But don't forget about the underdogs. They have a ton of value. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really underdogs. On Sunday, every team truly has a chance to win, and so do you. Game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action. Start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match, dollar for dollar, all the way up to $1,000. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, I am uh, a little perturbed. I wish I had more time because uh, 
JJ and Dara are on Twitter just saying ridiculous things, and I'd love to be able to address it, but we don't have time. Defense, defense, defense. So, uh, I, again, if you're following me on Twitter, you would have already seen the highest-graded player was actually Henry Black. He only played six snaps, though, so if we remove him from the equation, the highest-graded actual starter was Mr. Kamal Martin, both of which are rookies. I don't think either of which have played a single snap this year. Let me check Henry Black. Not a single one. One game, six snaps, 87.5 overall grade. Freakazoid. Granted, if you play six snaps and you have two tackles and a forced fumble, probably doesn't matter all that much what happened on those other four snaps. Still, super excited for the guy. But Kamal Martin is the guy that I really want to talk about because this is what's really exciting. And it's not just that he graded out well. That, that in and of itself is exciting. It's not just that he graded out higher than Kenny Clark and Jair and Kingsley and Zadarius and all these guys that we love and uh, whatnot. It's not just that. It's a couple things. Number one, the three lowest graded players on this team are in order, Oren Burks, Ty Summers, and Chris Barnes. And listen, this is going to be, this is quickly going to devolve into one of those things where everybody says a thing and I say the opposite. And I started off loving Chris Barnes because he graded out really well. I have since got off that train because he has not had a good game over the last three weeks. Basically, since he became a starter and started getting big boy snaps, instead of you know 13 to 15 snaps, he went up to 30-ish snaps or more in a game. He's been putrid, horrible, terrible. Now, people look at that and say, that's not true. I've seen a lot of this, that, or the other. He had an 82.9 uh, tackling grade. A 75 overall pass rush grade, a 62 run defense grade, which isn't terrible, 36.2 in coverage, which is 17 of his snaps. He was targeted six times, five of them were caught for 47 yards. So the the common refrain is we got something special with Kamal Martin and Chris Barnes. I'm off that train entirely. I think Chris Barnes really flashed when he had very limited opportunities for about a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks. His second game was nowhere near as impressive as week one. Since then, he's done absolutely nothing. Now, again, I, I, I remember, I'm watching, like, dude, there's another tackle. There's, there's, there's 51. Every time I see 51 all day long. And again, 83 overall tackling grade. He's a solid tackler. So when you see a guy wrap a guy up and bring him down instantly, it's going to get you fired up. The point is, though, the full body of work, all 27 of his snaps on defense. And again, feel free to go on Game Pass, watch every single one of his snaps, see if you're impressed with his coverage ability in particular, which is where he grayed out poorly. You let me know. Also, there's more to run defense than just tackling. That's why they have those as two separate grades. So when Oren Burks, Ty Summers, and Chris Barnes are the lowest graded, it's nice to have a guy like Kamal Martin at least give you a little bit of hope. Because not only were they the three worst this week, over the course of this year, the four worst players that have been on this entire defense, Oren Burks, Ty Summers, Chris Barnes, and Christian Kirksey, the four worst players on this entire defense. Somebody had messaged me yesterday talking about he was listening to another um, podcast where they had mentioned how how much better the defense was with Christian Kirksey because of how, what a great player he was or something to that effect. I don't know. I didn't listen to it. That's nonsense. Christian Kirksey was abysmally bad for the Packers, like real bad. I believe he's the worst player on this defense. I, limited size, I get all that, fine. But he was not a difference maker in any capacity. So that's nice, right? Now, is it possible that Kamal Martin just had a good game and is going to fall? Of course it is. 
it happened with Chris Barnes, but I will say that it's extremely rare. It's also why I'm I'm still excited to some degree about Chris Barnes because you see the flashes of really good. Because it's really rare for a bad player to just accidentally have a good game, especially their first game, which is what Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin have done. So I, I, I'm more optimistic, let me say this, about Chris Barnes than I am Ty Summers or Oren Burks, because I don't know if Ty Summers or Oren Burks have had a single good game in their entire careers. I think Oren had one last year and it was his only good game ever. Or maybe it was this year. I generally like to have the information, but I just, I'm so short on time. Yeah, it was against New Orleans, was Oren Burks' only good game, but over three years, his grades have been 44, 45, and 44. That's just what he is. It's not working. It's not working with Oren. Ty Summers never had a good game. His highest graded game was a 61.8 against Tampa. Granted, this is his first year playing any bit, but um, just, it's it's not been good. Not saying he doesn't have maybe some ability, but... I mean, the one good, like, categorical grade that he had was an 88.5 run defense grade. He had eight snaps against the run in that game. And the, the whole point behind Ty is that he's pretty fast, so he should be able to cover some ground. His coverage grade is just the worst. Just absolutely horrible. I think he's maybe given up more through the air than anybody on this team. Yeah, Ty Summers has given up more. Uh, 20 targets, 20 receptions for 187 yards. He is horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible in coverage. Chris Barnes is fourth. So Chandon Sullivan in the slot has given up 174. Raven Green has actually given up 158, which is pretty staggering. I guess he has played quite a bit, about as many snaps as Ty Summers had. Um, Chandon, I'll give him a little bit of a pass because he's got 234 snaps. Um, Jair is lower on this list because he's been an absolute freak. Kevin King is uh, lower, partially because he's doing a good job, I'll give him credit, but also he's been out quite a bit. He's not even up to 200 snaps. Jair has 360, so stark difference there. But again, seeing Kamal Martin come in is is really impressive, but beyond that, one of the things that I found staggering is the snap counts. Oren Burks had five snaps. Ty Summers had 18. Chris Barnes, 27. Kamal Martin, 29. 29. He led the team. He's number one, top dog, already. This is a team that we've already established. They like to look at it from the standpoint of, we're not putting you out there unless we trust you. We've established that. Now, it's possible that maybe Mike Patton just runs the defense differently, and he's not exactly that way. If he likes Kamal Martin, he's going to put Kamal Martin out, even if he doesn't necessarily trust him because he likes the upside. It's it's possible. I think he runs the defense as like the head coach of the defense. So maybe that's just a difference in philosophy between him and LaFleur. But it paid off. So again, we're looking at it from a standpoint of they obviously drafted Kamal Martin because they like him. He had a very good training camp, which again means nothing because Christian Kirksey had a good training camp. You know, Dylan had a great training camp. A lot of guys did, although, you know, I'm not trying to trash Dylan already, but lots of guys have great training camps and don't put anything on the field. But then you follow that up with his first game back from injury. He's the the starting starter. I mean, it was him and Chris Barnes, but he edged out Chris Barnes and snapped. He was the second highest grade, or the, the highest graded starter, 78.4 run defense grade, 81.2 tackling grade, 68.3 coverage grade. Even his coverage was basically good. He had 22 snaps in coverage. That's not a fluke. He only had six against the run. Another staggering thing about Kamal Martin, six times he played against the run. Guess how many tackles he had? Six. <laughs> Granted, he can easily tackle um, when he's playing in coverage, but that's a pretty staggeringly high number for a guy that's only playing against the run six times, 22 times were on passing plays because he was only targeted twice and had two receptions. So if if we say that maybe those two were his tackles in coverage, that still means he had four tackles on six run defense plays. 
That's wild. So on 29 attempts, he was only targeted twice, gave up two receptions for 28 yards. He had six tackles, three stops, meaning three of those six were meaningful. So we know at least three of the six were probably not passes. Because again, a stop is a tackle that is a negative play for the offense. If the receiver is catching a pass across a linebacker's face, I don't see how that's going to be a negative play for the offense, unless it was like a third down and they didn't convert on it. Either way, it's impressive. So we'll have to see. I'm not going to get all, all overly hyped up. I mean, again, Chris Barnes did the exact same thing. The, the difference is, though, I don't think I had high expectations for Chris Barnes because he's an undrafted guy. I kind of expected him to fall off a bit. And, and maybe he still kind of rebounds, but, I mean, he's an undrafted guy for a reason. Granted, Kamal was a fifth-round pick, but still, I, I, I just think there's a, a better chance that there's a diamond in, a rough, in the rough in Kamal Martin than in uh, Chris Barnes. And, and, and again, if nothing else, we really needed it. And we haven't seen this in a long time, a guy that's just this good. I mean, I guess technically week one with Chris Barnes, but even that, he had a 68 overall run defense grade. It was mostly just lockdown and coverage, although two receptions, uh, two targets, two receptions for five yards is pretty similar and a decent tackle. That's the one thing Chris Barnes has been very consistent. He's a great tackler, which is probably why a lot of Packer fans really like him. He, When he gets there, he wraps him up, he brings him down. He's had one game that was against Tampa where he really struggled pretty much across the board, but other than that, he's been a very consistent tackler, which is valuable in and of itself. That's a big trust thing. If I know that you're going to be able to bring the guy down, we'll figure out how to get you in the right spot at the right time, because missed tackles are brutal. Um, anyways, we're already over time, so i got to hurry up. Other guys that graded out really well, and there were quite a few of them. Uh, guys it, just in the 70s, Kenny Clark, Jair, Kingsley Kiki, Zadarius, Dean Lowry, Adrian Amos, Josh Jackson, and Billy Wynn. Um, guys that were below average, Preston Smith and Jonathan Garvin. Uh, guy that graded out as bad was Vernon Scott and Chris Barnes. Guys that were horrible, Ty Summers and Oren Burks. Looking specifically at run defense grades, really good, Josh Jackson, Kenny Clark, and Dean Lowry. Um, good, Kamal Martin, Montrevious, Kingsley Kiki, Ty Summers, Rashawn Gary. Uh, the only below average guy was Will Redmond, so really solid effort from the defense. And, and they looked it, man. They looked like they came out violent. I mean, they were wrapping up. They were tacking, tackling. They were attacking. I really loved the effort against the run in this game. Um, tackling, very good. Adrian Amos, Chris Barnes, Kamal Martin, good. Preston, uh, Henry Black, Zadarius, Jair, Oren, and then uh, below average, Josh Jackson, Raven Green, Chandon, or no, bad was Chandon, abysmal Will Redmond, Ty Summers, and Vernon Scott. Pass rush, which has been lacking all year. Uh, nobody was in the 80s or 90s, but um, good. The only guys were Chris Barnes and Amos, who don't even count because they had one attempt, one pressure each. Um, the only guy that played a consistent amount that graded out as good was Kenny Clark. Um, I mean, tons of below average, but the only bad was Preston. The only abysmal was Chandon, which doesn't even count. So Preston was the only guy that really was not very good. Coverage, quite a bit of good. Obviously, Henry Black, but Jair, Will Redmond. Uh, you could even throw in Kamal and Josh Jackson did a decent job. Chandon, kind of Adrian Amos, kind of upper 60s. Um, the bad Vernon Scott, the abysmal Chris Barnes, Oren Burks, and Ty Summers. There's your linebackers again. In terms of actual pressures, Zadarius had uh, six pressures, so he, he again had a real good game in terms of his numbers. Six on 39 attempts brings him back up. I forget what the number was, 15-ish percent. Kenny Clark, four on 33 is decent. Kingsley Kiki, two of 22 is not actually that bad. It's it's a little less than 10 percent, but for a guy that is a a guy that is really dominant against the run, at least that's what he has been for a while, as weird as that is, to be at about 10%, I think I would take it at this point. Um, Amos, Preston, Chandon, Rashawn, 
Uh, Chris Barnes and Raven Green all added one pressure each. The sacks coming from Chris Barnes, Adrian Amos, and Zadarius Smith. Uh, missed tackles on the day. There were seven missed tackles. Uh, Chandon had two missed tackles. Will Redmond had two. Josh Jackson, Vernon Scott, and Ty Summers all had one. Um, in coverage, looking at who uh, gave up the most, Raven Green, which I'm not even mad at Raven. I mean, he was real up and down. They were picking on the guy. I mean, every pass was going to him. I thought he had a lot of really good plays. Obviously, he had a handful of really bad plays because, I mean, they were picking on him. But seven targets, five receptions, 74 yards. If that's all he's given up in a game where they're really trying to go after him, I'll take that. Uh, Chris Barnes gave up the second most with 47 yards. Ty Summers gave up 42. Chandon gave up 34, which is just wild that our corners are not even really high on this list. Oren gave up 30. Uh, Kamal gave up 28. Josh Jackson only gave up 26 yards, which, again, a lot of panic about what happens with Kevin King. We don't trust Josh Jackson. The dude gave up 26 yards. Big whoop. Uh, Preston gave up eight yards. Adrian Amos gave up five. Jair Alexander, one target, zero receptions. Will Redmond, two targets, zero receptions. Um, we had pass breakups. Raven Green had two. So, ma- again, massive kudos to him. Jair, one target, one pass breakup. The guy is just out of control. Um, I sh- should also be noted that the two touchdowns were both thanks to Mr. Ty Summers. So five targets, five receptions, 42 yards, and two touchdowns given up by Ty Summers. So anyways, that's about it. That's an overview of what PFF had to say about the Packers this week. I got to get going so you folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot them over. Um, I know Coach Hahn is always looking for questions and things to look at and diagnose if you want to go that route. That video, by the way, is up. If you haven't seen it, I've got it on my YouTube channel as well as the Facebook group. But uh, he may do another one if he gets a good enough question that he wants to look at. Um, Otherwise, feel free to shoot some to me. I want to try to find a spot to put those that are a little bit better. Maybe I'll keep it on the Flick Chat because I... I get them, and then I forget about them, and it's hard to just keep them all in one place. But feel free to send them over. I'll try to add them to my list of questions, um, stuff that we can look at more in depth. Anyways, I got to go. Have a good Tuesday. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.